it's budget time again. All right, let's quit putting it off. Make sure we got all the categories here and start pulling the data together. All right, rent, check. Utilities, check. Food, check. Transportation, check. Weather, check. Medical, check. Insurance, wait a minute. Did you just say weather? Welcome to what? Is it about the weather? A podcast where we explore the many ways that weather intertwines itself into our lives. I'm your host, Mark Jelanek. And this week, this week, we're going to take a look at weather at what cost. Did I say it was fall last week? I know I swore that it was feeling more like fall. At least I think I did. And it feels like, well, it was just a few days ago that I recorded that episode. I got a little warm here again. I'm not going to complain, but did have to turn the AC back on. was really hoping to avoid that. I ran a poll on Twitter. I don't do that very often, and I'll tell you why. I don't think most people respond to them. I, yeah, sure, if you've got a million followers or really a lot of active followers. I'm not active enough on Twitter. I think I've got like a thousand followers on my personal account. and But, you know, that, that probably means that a hundred of them actually look at a, some of the tweets you send. But I got, you know, again, a, hand, a little more than a handful of responses. But what I don't like about the polls is, they used to, I, I could have sworn they used to let you type in a longer kind of answer. And I had to do a yes, no, but I wanted to add kind of a, a snarky, kind of having fun comment. So it, the poll was, is this my last 80 degree Fahrenheit day for the year? And this was for Friday, right? I think I sent it out on Thursday. And I, what I said is tomorrow, right? And the response is, Nobody said yes. I was kind of disappointed. No one, no one was a fan of fall. Most people did say, I, my, my smart mouth answer was a short version of, you're the meteorologist, shouldn't you know? And that got the most votes. I guess I'm not surprised by that. Knowing some of the people that follow me and knowing some of the people that were likely voters, that, that feels about appropriate. I don't know. I'm holding out hope. I, you know, Saturday, the forecast is looking a little... Yeah. So it might get close just on one day later. I, the timing, when I put out the poll, the timing of the cold front was a little faster. So I, I thought I was going to be safe on Saturday. So I may blow it out the gate right out the first day. I'll let you know in a future episode. But again, I've got cooler weather coming. Go back to windows open. All's good. I can't really complain too much. I've had a good fall overall in terms of the weather. I also wanted to take a moment to say thank you for all of you who went to whatisitabouttheweather.com slash survey and filled out the survey. I'm not going to ask for you to do it again. I guess I kind of did right there. So those of you who haven't already, you still got a chance. But I'm not going to ask again. I'm going to get, leave it up there a couple more weeks, though, so people that can listen can hopefully still respond if they want to. Some interesting responses, still trying to think through how best to achieve all the things that people would like to see. And you never can. But like I said, there was some good, some good thoughts. And I, I do appreciate you taking the time to do it if you did and you still got a chance if you haven't also i wanted to say thank you again to those that supported my ride i i did do a look up and while i know they're still taking in some donations i think it'll be small amounts they raised over three quarters of a million dollars to support autism research and that's awesome and while most of that was corporate those of you who helped support my ride we did 750 dollars, and i appreciate that Yes, it's only a small little fraction, but it matters, right? It all matters. And hopefully, even a little bit, we put together and we contributed 
can help the broader cause. All right. You know, a lot of times I have a little headline I also share in the intro, but last week's headline, and because I did the episode kind of earlier in the week, I'm it's still kind of in the news, right? And it really got me to thinking about private weather forecasting, because as I mentioned in the episode, that they really should hire somebody to give them a forecast. It was a bit of a unique situation. It was outside the norms, right, of when things should take place. And snow forecast in October, most places around the country, it's not going to be relevant. And here they are, National Weather Service office, big broad area they're covering. And while, I, like I said, I think they hinted at the fact of there being a risk, a private forecaster would have been able to help with that. And I've done this before. It's not a unique thing. It's not a type of service that's not out there. And it doesn't have to be all that expensive. There's a music festival a few years ago in the Atlanta area that, you know, they've got multiple days. It's not just the event itself. They had set up, they had the event, and then they had teardown. And they were primarily concerned about two fundamental aspects of the weather. One being, right, the wind. And yeah, you may not think of it, Per se, but they're they're erecting structures, and we've talked a little bit about this before. As wind at you know where we're standing versus just a few feet above us can be very different, and so they wanted to make sure they were going to be safe as they were erecting these stages and all these things that went up a, a fairly decent height. But then the other part of it was the convective, was the thunderstorms. You know, odd. You know, you're you're not thinking about that being particularly odd, right? You're you're going okay. That makes sense. No one wants to get struck by lightning. Lots of metal. You're going to have fans there. You're going to have performers there. You're going to have workers there. But like I said, this was a before and after, and it's still kind of during tropical cyclone season that can have impacts around Atlanta. End of the day, I mean, that's what I did. Did it for a few days. Supported them for, I, I think I issued forecast for on the order of about 10 days. I don't remember what the final number was. But it certainly didn't break the bank by any means, whatever that amount was. And hopefully the forecasts were good. I think they were pretty spot on. So why wouldn't you do that with this ultra marathon? Why wouldn't you do it with most of these types of events? And I think there is more and more of that. I think the bigger events do hire this type of service, but I can understand a smaller one not being used to doing it or not even thinking they would have to. But quite frankly, if I were somebody participating in an event, I would want to know that that is happening. And I do think you're going to run in these things, and that's probably why even the quote started changing in this story, is that someone might sue. And there is this, you know, liability concern and liability risk. And that's why you also, every every of these events that I do, have to sign all sorts of waivers now. You can't just ride anymore. you got to do it. And, and I don't have a problem with that. I understand what... Everybody in the game. I understand what all the different sides are doing. But my answer still is, relatively speaking, that I think for events like that, you know, while I don't want to have it to be a regulation, I also think it's reasonable that it just is part of it or that they have to say, hey, we didn't, and you're taking on that risk. I mean, I'd be fine with that because I can do my own forecast. But with all this stuff, and I've been in the private sector of weather for a very long time, and there's always, you know, you're you're either one buying forecast to make money, like with energy trading or some sort of commodity sort of thing, 
or to improve your bottom line because you're determining what you're going to sell, or you're doing it to mitigate risk. You're trying to avoid losses. You're trying to protect yourself, make sure you're properly insured, or make sure you're doing the things to get your assets out of harm's way. But fundamentally, at the end of the day, we continue to get back to the idea of there's still this component that's related to public safety, right? And someone's going to pay for that. And that, that is not a money-making component, really. And I've done an episode on this a long time ago about, you know, whether being an inalienable right. I think I'll put a link in the show notes if you haven't heard that episode before. But I'm a firm believer that I do think for the public good that there ought to be publicly issued forecast where the motivation is not tied up in the money. All right. Now, I'm not saying that a private firm couldn't be responsible for that, but there ought to be different checks and balances, that it's not about a bottom line number. You can pay a private entity, but the people working there and their motivation should be about saving lives. And yes, to a secondary extent, you can say about it's broader than that. It's about protection of, of the populace, of the people. But you know, small cities and towns and counties, all this stuff, whenever you have big events like a hurricane, you know, you think about all that has to go into that. And and there is money saved, quite frankly. And I do think you can look for that, but you're not really going to talk about money earned probably with some of those things, like some of the examples I mentioned before. But a lot of times it's just fundamentally about saving lives. And that can be in a tornado or whatever else It, it is in terms of the weather. But we live in a day and age where we put more value, and we see these examples all the time. We've just been through it with COVID. There, there's this weighing of, you know, what do we do from protection? What's the right balance? And it's not always an easy answer, and I get that. But we had this case recently in my area where it, we, again, get into the cost of that. We had hurric- the remnants of Hurricane Ida. And I'm going to pull up this example because it was one to me that kind of reinforces that, you know, what is the right approach when you get into public safety scenarios, okay? Because what we had was a very unusual situation. It never occurred. And this happened two weeks after the remnants of Hurricane Henri had dumped record rainfalls in Central Park, as an example. And then Ida would do it just two weeks later. And we can get in the statistics and all that kind of stuff, but the event happened in less than a month later, which to me was shocking. The governor, or not the governor, the, the mayor's office in New York City had a press conference, right? And he talked about this report that had been delivered to him, and, and there are going to be links in the show notes. You can see kind of a write-up of the press release and even read the, the report. Now, I don't know if there's a longer version, but and I've skimmed through it. And there's a lot of good ideas there because it does talk about the challenges of many facets of the weather okay and and to me that made a lot of sense but what really stood out and i think it stood out to more than just me was the news conference that was around this thing that had to do with a, a question that was asked about you know using private weather service or getting a second opinion and i'm going to read what the mayor said and we're going to talk about you know where that falls and is it the right thing and is this where you should be spending your money on weather it said the following the national weather service they do good and important work but we've too often found the reports were too vague or too late and we need something more urgent 
So my simple summary would be having a private forecasting capacity to just be the second set of eyes, just like you get a second opinion with the doctor to tell us if we're miss if we're seeing what we're seeing from the National Weather Service, sorry about that, looks like the whole story. Where there's a possibility of things happening earlier, higher impact, what level of alert we should go to, someone dedicated to thinking from the New York City perspective, not the whole nation perspective. I think that's going to be really, really valuable. And I was like, well, did they mess up the forecast? Are you, I mean, long and the short of it here is he seems to be passing the buck at that point. I, I you know, of course he's kind of, def, you know, hitting at my profession. So I'm going to go, well, I don't like you doing that. So I went back and looked because I had been watching the event. I didn't remember the specifics, but I knew it was going to be a potentially bad event. And I live in an area where I'm up elevation wise. And I knew theoretically not to go out in the storm, even though I did to try to help someone else's home. But I knew the risk and I knew enough to go, no, it just doesn't make sense. And I, you know, I think a lot of people did, but I, I, I've gone back and I will put links to some of what I found. And I saw something from the day before the day before from yes, his so-called national source, right? This is the weather prediction center. So this is not a local office. And they said the following, and they have a nice map with kind of Philadelphia to New York and a little beyond that in, in the most drastic colors, right? The ones that are the highest risk. There is a high risk of excessive rainfall from the central Appalachians to southern New England tomorrow. Widespread rainfall between four to six inches is likely with isolated totals up to eight inches possible. Considerable to significant and potentially life-threatening flash flooding is expected. I'd say that's a pretty bold statement. You know, now Newark, we got one of the highest rainfall totals in terms of the big stations. There were some even higher around us. It's eight and a half inches within the margin of error. That's eight inches. And quite frankly, it was called for that. And if you look at the broader area around this, where this little narrow swath of really higher numbers were four to six was pretty common and even a little lower in some places. So my humble opinion, they were pretty much, you know, a day for a day before they called it pretty spot on. And even the next day, the local national weather service office. Now this was just on Twitter. I haven't even gone back and reread all their reports. One, they had retweeted that very situation, but they had done a briefing earlier in the day and they had an overview, like a, a PowerPoint slide, if you will. And it said rainfall three to six inches with locally higher amounts, rainfall rates one to two hours at times. Now, this to me is the only part that's a little tricky. The biggest, from what I can tell, and this is a meteorologist talking, not someone who understands the structure of New York, the rainfall rates were probably the bigger problem than the total amount. I'm not saying that eight inches is not a lot of rain. I'm just saying if you get eight inches over five days, it's much different than eight inches in one hour, as an example. And some of those rainfall rates were higher than two inches. I went and looked at my Newark total. There was one hour that was closer to three. And yes, that is meaningful in the grand scheme of things. But more or less, all this rain came in about four hours. And I don't know from the evidence I've seen that you would make a drastically different forecast if you were a different set of eyes. If your mindset was, what's the worst case? 
yes, you would look at it differently. But I don't think most meteorologists, even someone who's working for, as he would say, directly for New York City, you're focused just on New York City, would think about it that way, unless that was their only purpose, which is, look at this and give me a worst-case scenario. And would you, would you, mayor or any of your staff, know to say, oh, well, if I look at it at 8 inches versus 6 inches, that's going to be very different to me. Or if the rain rate is this or that, is it going to mean any different to me? So I started getting into the concept of, you know, they called, there were forecasts for eight inches. I'm sorry, they were there. They existed. And so we get back to the fundamental idea of, yes, having weather forecast that you can work from and do make the right decisions from are costly. But what's the right approach? Because when we're looking at public safety, there's only a there's a finite pool to work from because those budgets come from taxpayer dollars and you can't just endlessly raise the well I guess you can but fundamentally at the end of the day there's going to be a bucket that you got to work with and you've got to make decisions and we go through cycles and I'll relate it to something like with working out so when I work out I have different components sometimes I work on cardio because I need to improve that element of my workout or I, I find that to be the bottleneck and sometimes it's about you know maybe strength in my legs if I'm cycling. But I, I tend to go through phases where one thing seems to be holding it up. And I'm not so sure, I'm not so sure that right now the bottleneck is in the meteorologist. And I, I looked at some Twitter, you know, of course that sparked Twitter about is it the right thing to be doing hiring someone specifically for New York City versus hiring a private weather firm. And I'll put some links in the show notes on that. And that's an interesting debate too. But I'm not even sure that's where the debate should fall. Because just like any good weather forecast, sometimes it's about the technology and was there a good model. And, you know, he, he started to suggest that you could have had more models and better models. And I'm, I don't think so. Yeah, maybe there's some room for improvement there. But if the day before it talked about areas getting eight inches of rain and it was showing that already, that's enough to work with. Now, you could say the messaging needs to be better, that maybe there needed to be a better explanation of what the maximum rain rates could be, because maybe that would trigger different things in people's minds. But that, again, I get into this thing is, was the data there and it was really a meteorologist that didn't make the right call? Or is it a non-meteorologist issue? And we've brought up this topic before that I think maybe we're at this point where the bottleneck isn't the weather technology that's giving you the forecast that it's the meteorologist that's interpreting the forecast although there might be room for improvement in both i think the bigger challenge is somewhere else and i'm not trying to lay blame with anybody but to understand the potential impacts of how if i said to you well Yes, there's a risk of three inches of rain versus two inches of rain. What are you going to do with that information? It may be meaningless unless you know what the systems that take all the water away can handle. And maybe you have that data. But you best better have that data if you're going to start calling other people out on it. Because I think the real elements that we run into today is a lot of times we don't understand how to use the weather data that we can get to enhance our decision processes. For a long time, I think the weather data and the forecast quality was the bottleneck. I don't think that's where we're at anymore. And while I do think that there is continually an opportunity to invest money in the weather cycle, 
and interpreting those weather forecasts. I think it's better spent right now at a different phase of the cycle. I don't know. I'd be curious about your opinion. I'm going to put this kind of whole thing in the show notes. But if you run into situations like that, and where do you find the bottom? Because it might be different for you. Maybe where you are, the, the, the weather forecast is truly so bad, it just, it's not even worth trying to interpret. And it still needs to be spent there. In this case, I think what we saw was the models were pretty good. The forecasters were pretty good. Again, always room for improvement. We all have it. But I don't think that's where the bottleneck was. What is about the weather at gmail.com? Mark underscore Jelonic on Twitter. What is about the weather on Twitter? And of course, if you want to support the podcast, patreon.com slash weather. But the next time you're churning through that forecast on your phone or looking up the reports from the National Weather Service or just trying to go, well, okay, the forecast seems good, but what does it mean to me? Just remember, just remember, there's much more to weather than the weather itself.